as far as thinking about it in the Kurdish context, you know, you say that uh, that by like the um, you know the 1970s, uh, you know, you'd, you'd started to have this uh, this specific kind of national conception and 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 nationalist movement. Well, I mean, it, it, basically, it, at the elite level, you have it, uh, you know, beginning in the late 19th century, early 20th century, you see the first wave of Kurdish political ac uh, uh, activism coming into the fore uh, following the 1908 constitutional revolution in the Ottoman Empire, which, which gave a lot of opportunity for peoples in the Middle East to openly, you know, discuss national issues. Doesn't mean they were separatists, you know, there was a, you know, most Muslim minorities in the Ottoman Empire, for example, regarded themselves as nations, but saw their futures as being tied together within a kind of constitutional, supranational, multinational polity, not too dissimilar from te tendencies within the Austro-Hungarian Empire or tendencies within the Russian Empire at that point. Now, after the end of the First World War, of course, the re Middle East got partitioned into explicit nation states. The Ottoman Empire was, you know, an empire, uh, it was, you know, uh, it, 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 there was an attempt to forge a kind of uh, Ottoman national identity. Uh, but, you know, that had some success, more success than people give it credit for. But once the empire collapsed, you have the formation of new uh, identities. Uh, you have and you have explicit Arab nation states and you have explicit Ottoman nation states. But at the same time, you also have the Arabs being partitioned amongst themselves, the Syrians and so on and so forth. So you have this conflict in the Arab world, for example, between the Qaumiya nationalism, the nationalism of sort of race and language and culture and the Wataniya nationalism of territorial states. So uh, sort of pan-Arab nationalism versus uh, uh, versus. Uh, uh, kind of nation-state nationalism. And the Kurdish movement kind of parallels that in an interesting way, because although there are no Kurdish states, uh, you have this uh, uh, sort of split, not between kind of the cultural divides amongst the Kurds, not so much based on culture or dialect, but based on which political state they, they, they lived in. So, uh, for example, the two main dialects of Kurdish are Kirmanji and Sorani. Sorani is spoken in Iran uh, and uh, 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 Iraq, and Kirmanji is spoken mainly in Turkey, Syria, but also in Iran and Iraq. But you know, you don't see Kirmanji nationalism, and you don't see Sorani nationalism. Rather, you see different Kurdish nationalisms with different political orientations developing within each of these states, despite these kind of uh, pre, let's say, primordial divisions. So the, the divisions that do exist within Kurdish nationalism today are either ideological or they're based on the international frontiers because, you know, the political conditions that prevailed in Turkey, Iraq, and Iran were different. They affected the Kurdish. In all those countries, the Kurds were kind of discriminated in, but in different ways, which affected the political orientation of those movements and gave rise to, you know, if we do want to talk about a multiplicity of Kurdish nationhoods today, we can talk about maybe like you have this kind of pan-Kurdish nationalism, which is powerful amongst the diaspora, which is aspirational amongst many Kurds. But then you have a kind of, a very uh, a more institutionally powerful kind of territorial version of Kurdish nationalism, which is a Kurdish nationalism in Turkey, Kurdish nationalism in Iraq, a 
the Kurdish nationalism in Iran and the Kurdish nationalism in Syria, all of which have their own specificities and and, and political orientations and political organizations. Yeah, well, let's let's, let's talk about some of the uh, the political organizations, right? So, like, I, I think. Um, one of the first uh, acronyms you mentioned and and something that, that people who might know a little bit of this are likely to have heard of is the uh, is the PKK. So uh, so what's that and when did it get started? Sure. So the PKK emerged in the late 1970s uh, in Turkey. Uh, and Turkey is home to the largest population of Kurds. And the PKK uh, was very much regarded itself as a pan-Kurdish movement. So it argued for the complete independence of Kurdistan and the creation of a united independent Kurdistan. Uh, they received support from Syria in their early days. So they actually, initially, they excluded Syria from their uh, greater Kurdistan plan. Uh, and in fact, they even uh, accepted the Syrian government narrative at the time that most of the Kurds in Syria originally came from Turkey. So they weren't really Syrians because, you know, Kurds in Syria, many of them were stripped of their citizenship uh, uh, and, and, you know, what kind of citizenship cit without citizenship. And the Syrian government allowed Syrian Kurds to join the PKK to kind of distract them, sending them uh, over to Turkey to cause trouble with Turkey, which was their rival. So the PKK emerges this kind of left wing, uh, very traditional kind of Marxist Leninist style political party. Yeah, that's, so that stands for uh, Kurdish Workers Party. Kurdistan Workers Party. So, yeah. yeah. Um, interestingly enough, most Kurdish political parties don't call themselves Kurdish. They call themselves Kurdistan. So they have a very strong territorial aspect uh, to it. And this left-wing political orientation, uh, the very strikingly left-wing political orientation of the Kurdish movement in Turkey is not haphazard or accidental. When the Republic of Turkey was founded, initially the Kurdish movement in Turkey uh, uh, kind of grew out of uh, discontented tribal leaders who are angry at state centralization, secularization, and sort of cultural oppression, and intellectuals who were angered by an exclusion from state institutions, uh, political persecution, and so on and so forth. So you have this kind of, in, in the 20s and 30s, you kind of have this uh, alliance between intellectuals and tribal leaders. However, the Turkish Republic, in the, especially after the 1930s, was very good at assimilating tribal leaders and landowners into the Ankara regime. So uh, this kind of uh, traditional ruling class of Kurdish society, many of them were integrated into Turkish political parties. Uh, and this, again, alienated intellectuals who were like, we don't, you know, why is this uneducated tribal leader uh, being the parliamentarian for Van just because he can convince 2,000 people from his tribe to vote for him and he owns, you know, 50 hectares of land he gets, but we went to university and stuff. So you have this kind of alienated left-wing uh, Kurdish intelligentsia who's very attracted to communist revolutionary uh, movements. Uh, at the same time, you have some of these Kurdish tribal leaders attempt within the constitutional framework of Turkey to get like more resources for the Kurdish region, to have the government loosen up on the very, very harsh cultural restrictions placed on Kurdish language and printing and things like that. So you have this kind of constitutional kind of do it within the system wing represented by kind of tribal leaders who try and say, hey, don't be so brutal to Kurds. And then this kind of left-wing intelligentsia. Both these movements fail by the 1970s. The left-wing movement 
is crushed in Turkey. And also the Kurds are kind of pissed that the left is not really taking the Kurdish question super seriously. And also this kind of uh, Eastism movement, they call it Dojuluk, this kind of like, let's get more, let's solve the economic issues, let's do this. This also kind of fails. And so the PKK emerges a kind of like a maximalist cultural Kurdish nationalists and maximalist sort of communists at the same time. And in 1980, there's a coup. A lot of Kurdish groups are kind of arrested. PKK manages to survive that. Then it starts like uh, attacking other Kurdish groups, such as the Kurdistan Socialist Party, for being reformists, and launches a guerrilla warfare in 1984. You know, launches this huge fight against the Turkish state, which gains a significant degree of uh, popular support. No, by no means like the dominant. Uh, uh, strain amongst Kurdish political thought, but it, it, it becomes a very attractive mo movement, uh, you know, and places itself within this anti-imperialist struggle as they are fighting Turkey, which they will, you know, were like Turkey is NATO's largest army. So the, you have the emergence of this left-wing orientated movement. Of course, in the 90s uh, and beyond, things get a little bit more complicated because the Soviet Union collapses. So the ideological kind of divide in which the PKK was created uh, um, you know, doesn't uh, you know doesn't seem doesn't kind of fit anymore. Yeah, but, yeah. So, so, so I, I do want to just dwell on this for a minute, right? Since since my understanding, you know, which which is hazy, is that um, you know after the the fall of the Soviet Union and and that kind of like orthodox you know Soviet Marxist Leninism, uh, you know, stops you know stops being quite so attractive. Uh, that uh, that later uh, some of these leaders actually drift towards uh, being influenced by uh, this this uh, this American radical uh, Murray Bookchin, uh, who uh, who is this kind of eccentric uh, quasi Marxist quasi anarchist. Um, so I, I I mean, can you, can you just 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 speak briefly to what the what the ideological drift is there? Sure. So uh, in the early nineties, in the early nineties. Uh, the PKK begins to soften its line. It begins pushing for autonomy uh, within the nation states instead of full independence. Uh, we also at the same time see the emergence of a parliamentary ring, wing to the Kurdish movement. Uh, there are several Kurdish political parties or Kurdish orientated political parties that operate within the parliamentary system but are shut down. The HDP, which is the most recent iteration of this, is, is one of them. Uh, so there's this kind of moderating uh, in, in the 1990s. You've just watched part of a Give Them More uh, patron bonus episode. To access the full episode and every other episode, sign up as a patron at patreon.com slash Ben Burgess.